Um, with that, let's pray, and we'll get into our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. I thank you for the gospel of Matthew that we have, we've been in for a while now. And as we uh, enter in, as we're in the midst of this Olivet Discourse, the fifth and, and really final uh, sermon of Christ recorded here in Matthew, it's, it's a weighty sermon. It, it deals with prophecy. It deals with things that have yet to come. And so, Father, I ask that your spirit would, would guide us as we study uh, these sections, as we tackle hard topics uh, within Matthew. Lord, I pray that we would be able to uh, move from head knowledge uh, to, to really practical application in our life. Um, Lord, that we would live our lives in a way that we are living for the day when we will stand before you, whether it's through death, whether it's through the rapture of the church, whether it's uh, through your second coming. Um, Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to really evaluate what matters in this life and that we would be prepared for that day when we stand before you. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in a field, or in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave who, whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In the place, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would guide us and help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so the very first couple, uh, we're, we're entering in mid-sermon. Mid and we start with these words, but of that day and hour... Um, right here, we have to kind of pause, like, where, where are we? Let me get my bearing straight. 
I missed last week, or I haven't been here in a couple weeks, or I'm visiting for the first time. What is, what is, what is being talked about here? Um, we go back to verse 3 of the same chapter. We know that Jesus had, he'd walked out of the temple for the last time. He basically got in his last argument with the leaders of the, of the temple. We're probably on Tuesday of, of the Passion Week of Christ. So in two days, he's heading to the cross. Um, he basically condemns the temple. They've, they have uh, gone astray from what God had intended of the temple. Um, they go out of the temple, probably from the southern side of it, made their way down the Kedron Valley, up the hill. They're probably more north, looking across at the temple. As they sit down, the disciples ask Jesus, the smaller crowd, the 12 of them, they ask him in verse 3, they say, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so it's with this question that really Jesus sort of gives the Olivet Discourse. All of chapter 24, all of chapter 25 are in response to this question. Uh, Jesus starts out with some things like, hey guys, don't be misled. Don't let people lead you astray. There's going to be all sorts of people coming and saying that the Messiah is here, the Messiah has come. It's going to be very... Um, the guys are going to be good who are claiming that the Messiah has come, so don't be misled. He says, don't be afraid. He comforts them. And, he, and really, as he talks about end times stuff, he, does, he doesn't say, go freak out. He's like, it's, it's going to be okay. Uh, trust in me. He leads, I got to turn my page here. Um, actually, can we turn the next slide? I think I left the slide here. I wasn't planning on doing it. And I, let's see if I have my little pointer thing in my jigger here, uh, which I do. Uh, really fast. If you guys missed the previous weeks, you can get the CD or listen online. Here's the cross chronologically. Um, Jesus is probably right here, wherever you think, but this is the last week of his life. Um, so somewhere in there, wherever you think that Tuesday is, we'll call it right there between my jiggling hand. Uh, he's asked this question. And so as he begins to unpack it, they're thinking from a Jewish mind, this whole idea of the church age, which we live into, was foreign to them. It's not talked about prophetically in any of the Old Testament. So they're asking about the kingdom's coming. The Messiah was to come. The Jewish mind, they were anticipating the king to come uh, with an iron fist to reign and to rule the millennial kingdom, which is over here. Um, this all spurs from what's referred to as the 70th or the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel gives this prophecy. A week in, in their thinking, the time clock was a seven-year period. And so he says in 70 weeks, so seven times 49, we're at 483. I don't, didn't do that in my head. I just know the answer. Um, so we know that those 483 years, the 69 weeks, were fulfilled to the, to the day when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the donkey. Sorry if I just zap somebody in the eye with my pointer. I'm a little trigger happy over here. Um, <laughs> I'm left-handed. I'm using my right hand, but that's not, that doesn't matter. Um, so they've completed it. They're right here. They know prophetically that all the things have happened. And so they say, when are you coming? When is the Messiah going to arrive? And so Jesus is looking here. He's, but he's fast-forwarding, not saying anything about the church age, which we presently live. 
he's answering from a Jewish mindset. We're, we're not talking about the rapture, oops, uh, anywhere in here. He's talking about this 70th week. It's a seven-year period that often you hear referred to as the tribulational period. Uh, during this tribulational period, at the midway mark, there is what's referred to as the abomination of desolation. This is what Daniel refers about. We don't exactly know what it is, but it's something profound, something at the midway mark. Um, the Antichrist will do something at um, on the Temple Mount. He's going to do something that will be totally blasphemous. The, the Jewish people will have been led astray, and they will know at that moment that this isn't the Messiah. Jesus then says that the great tribulational period is is the second half three of the second half of the second seven year period. He says, when this abomination of desolation happens, get out of town. Don't stick around. Leave Jerusalem. If you're there, don't even go into your house to get a jacket. Just go. It's going to be so terrible. It's going to be unlike you've, anything you've ever seen. Pray that it's not on a, on a Saturday or a Sabbath. Pray that it's not in wintertime. He, he goes on to say, like, I have pity for those who are nursing moms or are pregnant and have to flee Jerusalem during this time because it's going to be horrible. When I think historically the horrible stuff that has happened to Israel, I, I can't, like I, the Holocaust comes to mind. And that was pretty terrible. But Jesus says that in this day, this, this great tribulational period, it's going to be unlike any other time in history. Uh, you can turn the lights on and we can go back. And he, um, he, he says it's going to be so terrible. You're going to see all of these things happen. And don't, don't worry about trying to identify the timing of it all. Just know, um, in verses 32 through 35, he says, learn the parable from the fig tree. Like the fig tree, when it begins to sprout, you know that summer's close. And so when you see these things, you know that the time is near. You know that you're right on the door, the, the, the precipice of the Messiah's coming. He says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's talking about this generation as they're about to go into this period. Things are really bad. Then there's hope. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. So he begins to tell them that, okay, you're, you're, you're in that, you're in the moment, you know, generally speaking, but the actual moment of, of when everything's going to come, he's like, don't even worry about this. Um, this, this sort of leads to the question. I thought Jesus was God. And how, if Jesus is God, how come he can't answer this question? It, it seems like God should be all-knowing, right? We say God is all-knowing. That's omniscient uh, in the theological terms. But suddenly, he says, no, I don't even know. And so this deals with what we refer to as the kenosis of Christ. Kenosis is a Greek word found in Philippians 2.7, that great passage that says um, that he emptied himself. That word emptied in the English is the Greek word kenosis. It means that he stepped out of heaven. He took on the form of a man, and he it, it begins to sort of get our minds sort of in a knot, or mine at least, because here he takes on humanity. He becomes human, 100% man, 100% God. Don't ask me to do that math because I can't. And it says that he emptied himself. He gave up some of his heavenly attributes. Uh, and he took on the form of a bondservant, the example for us. And if you follow all of the apostles through the, the epistles, 
they no longer refer to themselves as their, being their, the master of their own destiny. They are bondservants of Christ. They have subjected themselves to his lordship. Now, it's interesting, if you follow the story out and you come to Acts chapter 1, you go past the crucifixion of Christ, his burial, his resurrection, uh, we're right on the doorstep of his ascension into heaven. The, the apostles, they're, they're still wrapped up on this question of verse 3. In fact, let's go there. Let's go over to Acts chapter 1. I wasn't planning on doing this, but it's good for you guys to fumble through the Bible. So Acts is a, you know, a couple books the next direction. And in Acts 1 verse 6, to sort of give us context, Acts is Luke is picking up the story from the end of the gospel of Luke. And so here we are, verse 6. It said, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? It's, it's really similar to, to verse 3 back in chapter 24. They're saying, okay, Lord, we didn't see the whole crucifixion thing you told us, but we didn't, we didn't see that one coming. Now you're risen from the dead. They knew he was dead. This wasn't like some stunt. Jesus was crucified. He was, he was executed by the greatest of all executioners. He was dead as a doornail, dead, dead. They all see him come to life. They all touch his body. Doubting Thomas, who he gives such a hard time to, I like, thank you, Thomas, I'm with you. Thomas is not until I touch his hands and put my finger in his side. And Jesus gave him that opportunity. Here they are. And I say, okay, Jesus, we're just doing the math. Like, so some things have happened. So is now the time that all of this stuff is going to happen? But notice Jesus, he, his answer is different. He no longer says, I don't know. He's, I don't think he's limited in his knowledge at this time. He's in a new body. He no longer following the resurrection. He no longer operates by humanity's terms and our restrictions. They're, they're locked away in their bunker hiding because their fear of their life. And all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up. Hey, guys, how's it going? Ah! He says, peace be with you. It's okay. He just departs. And so now he says to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He, he, he says to them, Don't, stop like trying to figure out what this is going to happen. Um. It seems to me, you can go back to Matthew 24. We get sort of wrapped up, and I, don't, I want to be very cautious because I don't want to be negative and make fun of people. I only like making fun of myself, for the record. Um, I don't think Jesus is saying to us, hey, when you see an earthquake, when you see a flood, I'm all for reading the newspaper and sort of keeping your spiritual eyes open and saying, what's God doing here? But when he talks about end times and he says there's earthquakes, I don't think he's, he's, he wants us sort of doing a flow chart saying, okay, here, this has happened, this has happened, okay, we're getting right. Like, like you're the one who's responsible for flipping the big power switch to initiate his second coming. Like the, he's going to do it. But he says, be aware of this stuff. And actually the whole purpose of, of end timesy stuff that I see, it's to, to basically awaken us and to affect how we live today, to recognize that one day, whether we die, whether we're raptured, or whether like my eschatology is all wrong and the second coming happens, whatever, like whatever, when he appears one day in my life, one way or the other, I'm going to stand before him. 
And he's revealed this stuff. He says, study this stuff because how you live today, you should be preparing for that day when you stand before him. Okay? So now he says, verse 36, we move. But, in that, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. Um, this is a super important, this is really important for us um, interpretation-wise. When we read the scripture, there are certain principles that we have to apply or you can get sort of out of whack. I have some dear, dear friends that have gotten this out of whack. And, and so I say this humbly, um, and I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But Jesus is answering the question, the Son of Man in his coming, what will it be like? Jesus says, okay, you're a bunch of Jewish young lads here. I want to use a story that you know to explain things to you, and so we're going to talk about Noah. It's funny, for years I've always said that, uh, that whatever I preach on, like the coming Sunday is I deal with it the week before. And so this week as my house was about to float away, like I think I was like the three little pigs, like I don't know if there was a flood in the three little pigs, but I, <laughs> but if there was, it's the water one. Like we, we, when we bought the house, we knew that we were going to have some issues. And, and, and I remember, you know, Rick Restivo, my, my insurance guy said, hey, what do you think about, should I get some flood insurance? He's like, dude, no, flood insurance is a waste of your money. He's like, you'd be, you'd be better served if you just invest that money into kind of taking care of the, the, the water situation. Just so it take, well, it's been five years. Do you want to know how much work I've done on, since pre- preparation? I actually made an appointment with a landscaper guy to kind of help me think through it on Friday. So he was to show up on Friday. But I'm there, like, in my back wall with a shovel, like, rowing a boat, getting the water to go the other way. And it dawned on me, I'm like, I'm preaching on Noah this week. This is what's going on here. And so he says, this is a story about Noah. Now, he's going to connect the dots. So look at verse 38. He says, for as in those days before the flood. So before the flood of Noah, they... The people outside of Noah's family, this is important for us to follow the they's and the them's and who's, who's he talking about. For as in the days of the flood, they, not Noah and his family, those that were uh, not listening to Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Okay, so he begins to expand on Noah, explaining. He, the context is the second coming, not the rapture, the second coming before the millennial kingdom. So he, he says, okay, I, I want to paint this picture about my second advent. And so I'm going to tell the story about Noah. And the people during Noah's day, even though they had warning, even though they had... Uh, We know that Noah took 120 years to build the ark. It's been suggested that Noah spent 120 years proclaiming that the flood would come, opening his arms to invite whoever would respond. And after 120 years, he only had his family standing with him. Jesus basically says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving to marriage. This isn't like bad. I think what Jesus is saying is that they were asleep at the spiritual wheel. They had all of this warning. 
And they did nothing. They just sort of went about their, their lives, you know, happy-go-lucky. Everything's fine. What's this rain you speak of? Remember, they hadn't had rain up to that point. It's, not like, it's almost like San Diegans. We don't, like, we don't know what it is. And it says that when they understood, by the time they understood, it was too late. And it said the flood came and took them, not Noah, away. Super critical in the context where we're going. Because what happens in the next couple verses is people, somehow I think it might make them feel better, the taking away part. Like we see this as good and it's like we automatically say, oh, Jesus is talking about the rapture. There'll be two people in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. And say, oh, taken is good. No, 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 no. In the context, taken is bad, really bad. You don't want to be taken. Because remember the days of Noah, who remained? Noah and his family remained in the ark. Everybody else was taken. It says it right here. They did not understand until the flood came and they took them all away. I'm sorry if I'm beating this point, but it's, it's so often misinterpreted and, and it leads you in the wrong direction. Although it might be semantics, I'll give you that because the application is exactly the same even if you interpret this the wrong way. But, but I really believe strongly in interpreting, in interpreting and understanding the scriptures correctly in context. And so he says, after these people, they were taken away. He connects us. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he takes the story of Noah. He tells us the story. They understand. Noah built his ark for 120 years. He shared about God. He warned the people. When the rains came, it was too late. They didn't make preparations. They didn't respond to God. Noah and his family piled into the ark. And as the rains came, they remained, and everybody else was destroyed over the coming days. And Jesus says, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So now he's painting this picture. We're sort of wondering, uh, okay, when Jesus comes, there's some things that are going to be similar. This week, doing, or this Friday in particular, doing flood control, all I kept thinking as the, the, the landscaper guy was to come to give me advice about doing the drainage, I'm thinking, I've had five years. If I'd only just dealt with this, like I've had five whole years. This is really simple to put a couple pipes down and to like do, do something. I'm out there with my hose, siphoning stuff off, like having memories of the seal days of paddling a boat, like going stroke, stroke, and get all the water. Um, I'm thinking, I was so unprepared for this. <laughs> and I think that Jesus is getting to, this whole point of this chapter is leading to getting prepared. So then he continues, okay, if we're not clear, he's going to say, okay, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Okay, context, remember, going back to Noah. The one taken, is that good or bad? That is bad. Taken, bad, unprepared. You did not respond. The one that is left is good, all in context. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Being left is the good thing. Remaining, being taken away is the bad thing. If just to really beat the dead horse, um, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter seven, this is the story of the flood. Jesus has Jesus has done a good job making it clear to everybody, but I just want you all to understand that, that I'm not just pulling this out of my hat. This is what the scripture is building this 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 illustration. And it's so easy for us to fill in the blanks the wrong way. 
And this is one that's super common. So we go to the end of chapter 7, verse 23. This is the very end of the flood account. The, the ark is about to hit the land. And we read here, Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals, creeping things, to the birds of the sky. They were all blotted, blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was taken? No. Only Noah was left. Together with those that were with him on the ark, the water prevailed on the earth 150 days. So Noah was left. Everything else was taken off the face of the earth by destruction. So when we come to this illustration, there will be two men there. What are the two men doing? I know the girls were doing something. They were at the mill. Okay, they were out in the field. One guy's taken, the other man's left. Two ladies at the mill, one is taken, one is left. Being left is good. Um, so what were they supposed to do with this information? Jesus is building this part. Jesus, like, the, the guys are listening. Okay, so I get this. To be taken is bad. So what are we supposed to do with this information, Jesus? And in verse 42, Jesus continues. There's a connective. Therefore, in light of all of the information I've just given you, in light of the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the account of Noah. 120 years of warning, 120 years that you could be preparing, 120 years that you could respond. But only one family responded. Only one family was prepared. He goes on to say, when I come, it's going to be, there's going to be two, people, two men in the field. One of them is going to be taken. One of them will remain. There'll be two ladies at the mill. One of them will be taken. One of them will remain. Therefore, his purpose, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, he's already told us back in verse 32, remember the parable of the fig tree, the immediate context. He says, when all of these things happen, you'll have a general idea of, of that the, the moment is at hand. But when it comes to the actual like hour and day, you, you just can't know. I think that this is where a lot of people, interpretation-wise, get off. Because if you're in the 70th week, from the moment that the 70th week happens, which, which many people believe will, the, the ticker will start ticking at the rapture of the church. So they think, well, you know, it's, it's seven years, so you should be able to do the math. But I think that times are going to be so bad and where Jesus is speaking, it, we, you just don't know. Like you can tell generally speaking, but not, I, I just don't think. And if anybody claims an hour and a day, like I'm pretty much sure that that's not going to be the day um, that it will happen. Um, he says, be on the alert um, they generally know. I don't think this is sort of, you know, we just had New Year's Eve and you sort of, you know, you can watch the clock, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, big party. This isn't the picture of his coming. Now, are there any soccer people? Because I realize I have an illustration, but I think it's only soccer people. I know Tammy is. There's like a couple of people raised there. So there's something called stoppage time in soccer. So most of the world loves soccer, but we're Americans, so I realize I'm using a really poor illustration. So when a soccer match begins, there's two halves. They're each 45 minutes. When you turn on your TV or you're at it, you just don't have any idea how much time has actually gone by. The TV, will, will it, they start the clock, and it just goes nonstop. Only one official who has the official clock in his pocket, basically when there's something that, that requires the the clock to stop, he stops it. When it's time to resume, he starts it. 
but nobody knows. And so when you hit the 45-minute mark, they sort of, all of the experts do a quick gathering of information. They say, okay, we think we stopped here. We think we stopped here. Ah, There could be three minutes remaining, or maybe it's four minutes, or maybe it's one minute. Like we, they, they guesstimate the stoppage time. They know that they're close, but they really have no idea when that final whistle is going to blow. And I think that this coming of the Son of Man is like stoppage time. So if you guys knew soccer, this would be a great illustration because it's like you're in stoppage time. We, know, we like the players, if they're down, they start hustling. They start like, we got we to gotta get ready. We, like, we're running out of time. And at any second, you could hear the final whistle. Boom, you're done. Game's over. And so Jesus says, because you, you don't know the moment. So be on the alert. Be prepared. Be sure of this, verse 43. If the head of the household had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. He tells another illustration. He says, let's just say, you know, in three weeks from now at 2 a.m., your house is going to be sort of burglarized. If you were given the exact moment that your house was going to be burglarized, I can't speak for you all, but my Second Amendment lovers and whatnot, we would basically be armed and ready like, come on, Buster, 2 a.m. I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. I'm going to drink lots of coffee around midnight. I'm going to set up shop, get all the cameras in the house turned on so we have evidence. And as soon as he comes in, we're going to handle, take care of business. Jesus is saying, like, if the owner had only known, but but burglars don't typically uh, announce themselves. Um, His point is powerful. So I don't know how many of you had to, like, this is where we all put our heads down and we don't really look at each other because I'm not calling anybody out. But I don't know how many of you had to deal with military people or law enforcement, like, in a nice way, like, relationship-wise. But if you have the pleasure of hanging out with, like, military, and the more combat, the worse it gets, or law enforcement, um, say you're like, hey, let's go out to lunch. The law enforcement military person is not going to take the table right at the center. They're going to sort of back themselves up in the room. They're going to come over here, and then there's going to be a seat. And they're like, this is a perfect spot. Let's just sit here so that there's no threats behind them. They, they can see everybody that's coming in because they want to have the upper hand because they're not going to be caught off guard. Anna was telling me the other day we were forced, uh, a friend of mine who happens to be a cop, we're both sort of introverts. Like, we like people and everything, but we don't get our energy from people. Like, I would just be happy locking me in a room by myself, and I'd be fine. Like, I'd be really happy. Like, I enjoy all of you. <laughs> I do. But I need, I need a nap after church because it's draining, where Anna comes home from church, and she's like, let's go. Let's go out. And I'm like, I know. It's just like, can, can I just sleep? And so we go out. It was Christmas time. We go to the zoo. And I'm like walking around, and it's packed. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I look at my friend, I'm like, did you go through security? And he's like, no, I didn't go through any security. I'm like, man, we could really do some damage on the people in here if we were bad guys. <laughs> and Anna and his wife look at us going, you guys, stop it. We're trying to have a nice time with the family and the kids at the zoo. And you're sitting here seeing if somebody was going to attack right now, how would you respond? Because we're always ready. Like, we are always on the alert, always on guard. While it might be annoying if you're living with this type of person, it's a beautiful illustration to the person who's looking forward to Christ. And Jesus is saying, be on the alert, be ready. Live your life for that day because that day is going to come faster than you know it. 
So the question then becomes is, well, what does readiness look like? And the next verse, going into verse 45, and really the rest of of chapter 24 on into chapter 25, Jesus is going to answer the question about readiness. What does it look like for the follower of Christ to be ready? What is he... if we're longing for him, how will our lives live, be lived? Um, the question is asked, verses 46 through 51, he's going to use the illustration of two slaves or two types of slaves. Then in chapter 25, he's going to talk about 10 virgins sort of waiting for their husband to come home. He's going to say how they were ready or not ready. Then, starting in verse 14, he's going to go back to using a slave illustration. He builds upon this. If you're waiting, what does your readiness look like? And so he says, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave who his master has put in charge of his household to give him their food at the proper time? So basically, he's like, okay, let's let's talk about slaves, household help. Now, there's a rich guy. This is a parable. This is He's, he's using a story to paint a spirit, spiritual truth. And so he says, you, which slave is the one that the master is going to be happy with? The, this, this slave has been tasked with sort of meal preparation. You have, have breakfast available, lunch available, dinner available. Is my slave, can we have some snacks sort of scheduled along the way? Like I, I uh, you know, just so we can be ready and prepared for whatever, if I get a little munchies or something, you know, like, like but this is my, if I had one, but I don't. Um, I'm just thinking it would be really nice to be in that situation. And so then he's going to talk about one. And so the first one, he says, blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Master shows up at 11.55. The slave is putting the final touches on the lunch table. Oh, you're home. Hey, I'm just, didn't, lunch is just about ready. Come help yourself. Without being sort of asked or reminded about the time, the slave is, is prepared the slave has responded taken actions to the things that that his master desires him to do or she is supposed to do and so he says this one that is prepared he says truly i say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions so we see this increased responsibility we see an increased management role that that he who is faithful with a little will be given more we've heard jesus talk about this already and so this is the servant who is doing those things. Now, now we have, um, in verses 48 to the end, there's the other slave, this guy. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ooh, the boss comes home, catches you off guard, and it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm fired, right? <laughs> like I, I, uh, yeah, I mentioned that show I, I like watching on occasion, Undercover Boss. And every now and again, you'll get like a knucklehead that's eating with the CEO or like hanging out. And he's talking about how lame the company is. He could give a rip about how good everything's going. And there was one kid, I forget which company. And he sits down to interview the guy that he was supposed to be teaching. And he sees that it's the CEO. And he's like, so I'm fired, right? <laughs> and the CEO's like, no, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to sort of invest in your life. I'm going to try to give you a chance. And, and, 
A few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember the bombing in, in Madrid. There was the Atoche, the, 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 the bombing of the train system. Um, it led to sort of re- really high alert. I think that was back in 2003 when that happened. And so it set all of our train stations on high alert. And I, I, somewhere on the East Coast, they found this radioactive, not radio, radio transmitting device on one of the tracks about a mile from sort of one of the, the head stations. And so they, everybody, ATF, everybody's launched this investigation. They're going all around it. The, the investigation, I forget how long it went, but I think it was more like three, four weeks. They're trying to figure out this device, which seemed to be a detonator of some sort, but they couldn't find the receiver. And finally, as the investigation was spiraling, a guy came forward. He said, I'm really sorry. I have to confess something. I work at the, the, the station a mile away, and I rigged this contraption to alert me when the boss was nearby. <laughs> so I could sleep at night, and he confessed everything. And it's sort of the same picture. The guy's like, well, I would sleep during the night, and if my boss came, it would ding, 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 wake, wake him up, and he oh, hey, boss, how are you doing? Talk about getting busted in the worst possible way. Um, I, I, we've all, I mean, I've been there. It reminds me of when I was going through SEAL training. They moved us from one room to the next room. So then my friend and I, we thought, oh, we can have an inspection-ready room at all times. They can never catch us off guard with a surprise inspection. We had the room that we lived in that we were off the charts. I, as an instructor, I realized where we aired. Clearly, somebody was waiting to move into the room that we were living out of, and the guys running the barracks are like, these guys refuse to leave. And so we have an emergency surprise inspection. I'm standing by our inspection-ready room. Like, I got these guys. This room, nobody's been in here in weeks. And it's spotless. And all of a sudden, I hear yelling from the other room. And I was like, oh, I don't know whose room this is. Like, I, and they're like, why does it say Hanson all over everything? I'm like, that's a coincidence. Like, I have no idea why well, I got. <laughs> I paid the man for that one. That was bad. And. And the point that Jesus is making, as you're looking for the Son of Man's coming, as you're waiting for his return, and even for us, like I think the next thing we're looking for is the rapture. I don't think this is in view here. I still think that there's some principles that apply. We don't want to be asleep at the wheel. We don't, we, we don't want to, to sort of think that Jesus is going to come back and we start like we can fool him. He's all-knowing. He knows. And he says, be prepared, be ready. Um, the, the, the timing of everything. Peter talks about in Second Peter that there, there are those that will come that will begin to mock because God's taken so slow to respond. And in Second Peter 3, 9, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, you know, God, God, God cares about you. Like the word is you. And it says, and he doesn't desire for any to perish. So he's sort of giving time for people to respond to him. It, it, it really is a testament of God's character, his grace, his mercifulness to us. There's no time like the present. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Christ, like I would encourage you to, to, to really examine who he is as we've gone through the Gospels, we see that, that Christ, who's giving these very strong words for the second, like, like the place of gnashing teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth, this, this, 
Christ who's saying that, he's two days from going to the cross where everything, the sin of the world, is going to be placed on him. Like he's going to exchange his life for your life or my life. And so if you haven't responded, I would encourage you to, whatever it is, if you need to talk, if you have questions, I'm all for questions. But at the end of the day, the word tells us that, that Jesus is our substitute. And by turning to him, by accepting his gift, you, you receive life. It's not about works. It's a gift. Now, the second, for those of you who have responded to Christ and you know that he's your savior, how do we live our lives? There's, there's plenty of stories in the New Testament that talk about that the, the, the Christian who is walking in sin, that basically when they stand before them, they're going to get like burnt, like they're going to survive, but everything's going to be burned away. I often use the story of that guy from the, you know, the Back to the Future series when he comes out smoking from the time and his hair is all on fire. Like I feel like, oh, that's how it's going to be. Um, now, the Apostle John was there, and if you'll turn with me over to First John, I want to end over in First John chapter 2. John the Apostle was here as Jesus spoke. John the Apostle of all of the apostles, he lived to the, very, um, to the very end of his life. Everybody else was executed. They tried to execute John. They, the tradition holds that he was dropped into a, uh, a vat of boiling water or oil. There's some debate. But he survived. And at the end of his life, history sort of tells us that he, when he could no longer walk, he could no longer see. But he was the last of the living apostles they, they, would, they said about him that they would, they would bring him in a stretcher and set him before the church. And he would simply say, little children, love one another. Love one another. Powerful. And so it's that John that pins these words. And in second, first John chapter 2, verse 28, I think what he, he says is, is along the lines of what Jesus is saying. He says, now little children, abide in him. Walk with Jesus, spend time with him. As you spend time with the Lord, you become like him, you change. Your, your priorities are sort of restructured. The things that you care about most deeply are, are aligned with the things that he cares about. That's what abiding is, spending time with him. There's a saying in Spanish, I don't know the actual saying, but I could ask Anna and she could give it for you in Spanish. I'll give you my English translation of it. it and, and it's, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. And I think that the picture is, is that if we're abiding with Christ, if he becomes one of our closest friends, we'll become like him. He continues, my little children abide in him so that when he appears, ah, now are we talking rapture or second coming? I don't know. It doesn't really matter for me, for us. It's rapture, I think. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. That really begs the question this week, if as you're living your life, if Jesus was to come back right now, how would your response be? Would your response be like, ooh? Say, I'm trying to, I don't know if I can come up with an appropriate. Um, you don't want to get caught with your pants down. <laughs> Metaphorically or literally, in a bad way. I, I, I say it to be funny, but also to be true. There are the ways that we live our lives. Like, I think that you can be a Christian and in sin, and that if Christ comes back, 
There are things that you will turn away in shame. But the beauty of his mercy is it doesn't say you lose your salvation. But John says abide with him so that when you're walking with him, so that when all of a sudden if he appears right now, your reaction is not to turn away. Your reaction is to jump into his arms. Abba, Father, it's beautiful. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him at shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would not be called, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. It's beautiful. And so as we conclude like this section, as they ask, Lord, how will we know? Jesus says, Don't worry about like the moment. In that day, it's going to come. You're going to be caught off guard. Like most of us will be caught off guard because we can't know. And in that day of his coming, there will be those who ignored and they were basically pushed away. But those who responded, they'll be ushered into the kingdom or, or gathered into his arms. And I'm not one for scare tactics, but this week as we close, my Monday started pretty terribly. Um, my phone rang at 6 a.m., and it was the Escondido Police Department dispatch. And they said, sorry, chaplain, I'm sorry to wake you up. I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm awake. I'm <laughs> kind of, but because the phone rang, now I'm awake. And I answered, and they said, we need a chaplain to come down to this address. And I said, okay, hang on a second. Let me get a pen and sort of get some information. And I dispatched another chaplain. I tried to uh, get another agency involved. And, and as the story was developing, I came to learn that a, a 44-year-old man, which seems so young to me, these, it used to seem like that was like Methuselah when I was a kid, but now, like, 44 seems like a whippersnapper. This man died in his sleep, and he woke up by his kids finding him. And the chaplain responded that his, his wife was there, his children were there, devastated. And like, we don't know how much time we have left. Like, you just, you just don't know. Life is fragile. Nothing's guaranteed. And so with, with that combined with the rains, like the whole, be ready. If you don't, if you don't know him, he, he want, he, it's, a, it's an invitation for you to respond. And if you do know him, I think that we each need to really evaluate our lives and are you living your life? Are you engaging with people? Are you doing things, preparing for that day that you're going to stand before him? God wants us to think about how we're living today because it affects the then. And so, Father, we do thank you, Lord. We praise you that this eternal life that we have from you is a gift. We thank you that it's not about works and earning our salvation. We thank you that Christ came, that he lived a perfect life as an example to us, as an offering for our sin, that his death on the cross was sufficient. We thank you that all you ask of us is to come to you, to trust, to believe, 
And so, Father, I pray for those that may be uncertain about their position before you. I pray that you would help us as a church to answer their questions. I pray that that they would feel comfortable communicating with you and asking you for help and guidance. And for those of us who have responded to the gospel, who have been transformed by your grace, Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly evaluate our lives. That the day that we stand before you will come sooner than we recognize, either by death, rapture, however it happens, it'll come quickly. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to abide in you, that we would know you, that we would begin uh, to be transformed from the inside out through your spirit. Lord, our flesh is powerful, and we need you, Lord. And so we look to you, Lord, and we ask for help. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.